For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Scott Richmond and Arnie Sherman. You're listening to What Do You Know on News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. Arnie Sherman, a good Sunday morning. Good Sunday morning to you. You know what I'm excited about? Tell me. Baseball. <laughs> baseball is back. It's been very, even though, very even good though to we you. have we have cold weather here and it doesn't look like baseball in Missoula, you know, we have we have uh um baseball and major league uh, you know, preseason games going on and exhibition games going on and we're gonna get ready for a season to start in a few weeks. So I'm very excited about that. I am too. For you, yeah, for for me, because that occupies my my time during uh, the summer, and who knows if the Yankees are going to be any good this year? But uh, they're my lifelong team, and I'm going to stick with it. But today we have Robert Tino Sonora, professor from the University of Montana and associate director of uh, the Bureau of Business and Economic Research, to talk about you know this constant drumbeat of inflation and the Fed and what's happening with our economy and people judge everything by gas prices and food prices and housing prices. And I thought we'd go to the, the source of, really of is data the source. and information on this. I mean, that's what he does full time is take a look at all this in terms of what's happening nationally and what's happening across the state of Montana and how does it affect Missoula, Missoula itself. So, so I'm looking forward to a, a lively conversation today about uh, where we are and, and where we're headed. I think it's great. Tino always is a good guest. We had him on first when we were during COVID. Yes. Right? It was almost 16 months ago. Right, and he had very good insights into what was happening then and gave us some good advice, and now we're looking forward to hearing what he has to say. Yep, and we will drill down with Tino, not just talk macroeconomics, but talk about how it impacts the state of Montana and certainly Missoula as well. So always good with Tino. Yep. Don't want to pay $10 for eggs forever. A dozen. Are you finding that you're paying ten dollars for? Yeah, eggs? if you if you well, if you go to a good food store and you walk in and you look in the shelf, you know the organic, you know chickens that have free run and you know have condos and whatever, <laughs> you pay nine ninety nine. You know you can get other kind of eggs, dubious eggs for you know a couple of bucks these days. But uh, you know, to me, eggs are like the Snickers bar. It's the bellwether of what things are going to cost. If you're if you're ending up paying as much as ten dollars a dozen for eggs, then other things have adjusted up significantly. Things are definitely out of whack if that's, yep. if that's what's happening. Anyway, I'm looking forward to speaking with Tino. We will be back after these words with Tino Sonora. Arnie, we are back with our guest, Tino Sonora. He is the Senior Research Professor of Economics with the University of Montana. He's also the Associate Director of the Bureau of Business and Economic Research. And I'm one of the Senior Research Professors, I right. would say. So but, just the one, to be clear, but you're ours. But he's ours, yeah. and he hasn't been on the show for a while. I think it was 16 months. 16 months ago, in the midst of COVID, you were here giving us the bleak economic picture of where we were. And now it's uh, 16 months later, and you're out as the bureau around the state now doing economic presentations. You're talking about forecasting what's going on in Montana. So for those who aren't able to show up and participate in those events, give us the quick headlines. 
Well, the quick headline, of course, is inflation um, right now, and the Fed's response is to inflation. And so we're just watch, keeping an eye on on that, uh, what the Fed is going to be doing is going to be raising interest rates probably the next year or so, I reckon, probably another 101%. And just to try and get that inflation in check, you know, I think before COVID, inflation was probably deflation at that time because no one was buying anything. Then, of course, we had all these supply side issues where we had, you know, uh, China was kind of shut down and so they weren't shipping out and weren't exporting a bunch of stuff. Then all of the longshoremen were sick, so there was no way to get the boats cleared off with all this stuff. And so we had this sort of supply side inflationary right. effect. And then, you know, that was kind of the COVID story, I think, last time we talked. And then people sort of thought, well, now that everything's starting to loosen up, all the longshoremen are going back, the Chinese are going back to work, et cetera, this inflationary supply side inflationary pressures are going to start going down. And so we have this, quote unquote, transitory inflation. And we got that wrong. Um, so there's still a lot of stuff at that time, maybe through through 2021, where uh, and, and most of 2022, when there was still a lot of uh, gum in the works, just things were not functioning, and so inflation stuck around. And now it's starting to slow down, still high uh, at about six percent, but it is slowing, and so that's a good sign. And but I do I do anticipate that uh, the Fed will continue to fight inflation, especially with a strong jobs report that just came out recently. So Dr. Sonora, I want to get in there. Dr. Sonora, when I was a young professional. No one knew or ever heard of what the, the Fed. Nobody paid attention to the Fed. And now the Fed has the economy by a, a stranglehold. I mean, every, everybody awaits, you know, what's the chairman of the Fed going to say? What's the Fed going to do? How did they get in that position? And more importantly for our listeners, are they getting it right? Okay, first, why now? Well, it used to be that the Fed kind of operated in secrecy. And so there was no real big announcement. So if the Fed met, um, no one really announced anything. So the Fed was targeting, again, its charge was the same. Its charge is basically what is referred to as a dual mandate, that is to maximize employment or alternative minimize unemployment rates and maximize price stability or put another way, minimize inflation. So it's got this dual mandate that are kind of uh, at odds with each other. Um, so they've been doing that same thing since they were chartered, which is back in 1917. That was sort of when the Federal Reserve Act and, and put together the Fed and the Federal Reserve System. But they had always kind of operated somewhat in secrecy. Um, and then starting in about the 1980s, 1990s in particular, uh, during the Greenspan uh, chairmanship of the Fed, that's when they started to be more open and, and try to explain the reason for doing what they're doing. Um, and so the idea is increasing the transparency of the Fed. And the Fed has been growing increasingly transparent over the past 20 or 30 years now. Um, right now, for example, the Fed um, has what is known as an explicit inflation target. And that's 2% inflation. And this is a different type of inflation than the one we usually talk about, which is the one that's CPI, the Consumer Price Index Inflation. They use an alternative inflation measure. Uh, so they're targeting that, which is called the price of consumer expenditures. They're targeting that at 2%. Uh, that's still about 5%. It's actually lower than the CPI. Um, so part of it is just their increased transparency. They just want – they don't want to act in secrecy. They do not want to – uh, make people guess what they're doing, which is kind of what they used to do. They're trying to make sure markets understand their thinking, 
where they're headed, why they're doing what they're doing. Um, and so they're heading towards that more, as I said, that, that, so now you're just getting almost blitzed with Fed news. As a, as a lay economist, speaking for myself, it seems to me that just raising interest rates is not the only spigot you can turn on or off to try to, you know, stabilize inflation at 2%. Uh, for the Fed, it, that's basically what they do. Um, that's that's their main that's their main tool. There's an alternative bunch of tools that they have, which they do not use that often. During the financial crisis, they introduced a lot of other tools, and that was just to get markets uh, full of liquidity because they were afraid that there was going to be bank panics, uh, shutdowns of banks, and you'd have this drastic decrease in the money supply, and that would throw us into a very very deep recession, a la the Great Depression of the 1920 late 20s and early 30s. But if you are just ratcheting in, you know, interest rates and not taking into account things like record profits, one of the reasons you know, gas prices are high and other companies are reporting record profits, I think uh, um, you know, some of the oil companies are reporting more profits than, than in 10 years combined previously. They don't have any influence over that. No, they only can try to control your and my spending rate. That's all they're trying to control. So they control a very, very specific interest rate. It's referred to as the federal funds rate. It's the rate at which banks borrow and lend money to each other. And then that sort of echoes through the interest rates that you and I have. So, for example, the federal funds rate, which is their target rate, is it hit about 4.5% right now. That's their target. They've been raising it for zero from 0% over the past 12 months or so. So now it's at 4.5%. You look at the prime interest rate. The prime interest rate is the interest rate which banks lend to their best customers, however you want to define that. And that's usually about one and a half to two percentage points above the federal funds rate. And then all of our interest rates are loosely tied to that, particularly credit card interest rates. So if you look at your credit card statement, you're going to see the interest rate that you're being charged is prime plus 12% or whatever it Mm -hmm. is. And so that's their way of slowing things down. And it does... In addition, echo through other interest rates. So mortgage rates get hit by this. Uh, car interest rates get by, hit by this. Uh, appliances, anything that, where you borrow money, all get hit by changes in this, this target federal funds rate, this policy rate that the Fed uses. And so that's, that's all they control. Now, now, the next question you had is, did they get it right? And it's a, it's a hard thing to do, you know, because when I increase the interest rates today, it doesn't affect inflation tomorrow. And then usually we sort of calculated that the efficacy of any type of monetary policy takes anywhere from 12 to 18 months to actually achieve its goal. And so interest rates that were put up last year are now starting to have an effect on our inflation today. So interest rate hikes that are happening today are going to slowly bleed into inflation probably by mid next year. So I think most economists are looking for 2024, mid to late 2024, for that inflation to get more or less in line with what the Fed is looking for. We've lived with higher inflation in the past, even during robust economic times. So the question is, is inflation the best gauge of a healthy economy? I mean, does a does a, an administration, no matter who it is, Republican, Democrat, stand up and say, we've controlled inflation, therefore our country is doing great? I mean, there seems to be other, you know, areas of, of attention that 
end up shaping what is viewed as a healthy economy. Well, it depends on who you talk to. Now, if you talk to a politician, they want a healthy economy to them, what looks more like low unemployment. Right. Because, you know, a happy voter is a voter that's going to vote for you. And we have record low unemployment. We have record low unemployment, which is really making the job of the Fed a little bit tricky. And, in fact, this low unemployment rate is kind of giving them um, uh, a carte blanche to raise interest rates because they are less afraid of throwing the economy into a recession. Um, so from a policymaker from the government's side, so the, let's call it the, the – I call, I, I, I call the Feds the people who are like – in the central government, so right. in Washington. And then the Fed is the central bank. So the Feds have a very different kind of, of policy goal. They want people to have jobs so that they can go buy stuff and then they can get reelected. The Fed, when it was put into play, was actually on purpose made completely independent of the Fed's policy influence. There has been a huge – well, I won't say huge. There has, been a, there has been a fairly lively discussion about the Fed's behavior during uh, the first or second Nixon administration. So we're talking about 1971, 1972. And Nixon actually wanted to lower the interest – the Fed to lower the interest rate. This was during Arthur Burns chairmanship. Lower the federal funds rate, lower interest rates so that unemployment rates would start to fall, therefore boosting his chances to get elected and 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 – there's some discussion, did Burns get influenced by Nixon? Did he actually just say, no, I'm not going to do this? Right. You know, what – because he's not worried about unemployment. He's trying to keep inflation in check. And then there's some discussion of whether or not those decisions were then bled into inflation in, this, in the late 70s during the Carter administration. Mm. So maybe three or four years or five years later, Carter administration, inflation started going up. Then you had Volcker come in and say, you know, inflation is, is kicking around. It's way too high. I mean, we've had the highest inflation since the 90s, but the, the highest rate of inflation since the end of World War II is right around 1980 when inflation hit 10, 11 sure. percent. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's when Volcker came in and said, you know what, we got we to crank up interest rates. We got to get this thing in check. And the reason is, is because a lot of people operate and contracts are signed on what inflationary expectations are. So if I want to sign a contract for my wage and you want to hire me, we want to accurately forecast what we think the rate of inflation will be so at least the purchasing power of my wage sure. will stay the same um, and not decline. But um, so that's why a lot of people well, – that's why a lot of central banks kind of focus on inflation because it's not only those longer-term contracts, prices, firms have to price their own output – um, but it's also in terms of interest rates. It's more easy to 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 to, uh, to put together, uh, say, a mortgage. Like I got, I can forecast what inflation is going to be. I think it's going to be two percent. So therefore, I'm going to charge X X mortgage. And that has actually the most recent turmoil has actually had an influence in mortgage markets. Now, as you may know, there there's something called the adjustable rate mortgage. You know, five one seven one three one. Right. Well, they don't do – so it was a fixed, say, a 5-1, right? It was fixed for five years and then adjusted one year thereafter. Now we're in a 5-6, meaning fixed for five years, adjust every six months now because there's so much more interest rate uncertainty because of these inflationary sure. pressures. So that's, that's, gonna, that's why a lot of people sort of focus on prices. And in fact, the European Central Bank, which is the central bank of the eurozone, they don't have any dual mandate. They don't maximize employment. Their sole goal is to – Keep medium-term inflation fixed at 2%. So my last macro question before we kind of zoom back to what's happening here in Montana and Missoula specifically, is the policy that we adopt, what Jerome Powell says, 
Do other central banks around the world follow it? Are we following what the Chinese do? How does what we're doing fit into the global scenario? We tend to be a interest rate leader. Uh, we do not have a fixed exchange rate regime. We do have our our, our markets are relatively uh, our our foreign ex- exposure to foreign trade is relatively small in the United States compared to other countries. And so some countries may desire to have a, a stronger, weaker exchange rate. We do not do that. So the primary focus of of the Fed is to focus on domestic inflation, domestic unemployment. Now, of course. When making that decision, you have to understand what foreign markets are doing. So, for example, if the dollar weakens, um, that could drive up the price of intermediate goods, which could then drive inflation. Uh, on the other hand, a weaker, do- a stronger dollar makes imports a lot cheaper. Um, and when that happens, of course, then we can we can import stuff relatively cheaply, but it makes our exports more expensive, which could drive unemployment. So, right. you know, there are you know, very, very aware of what's going on in the rest of the world. Other other smaller countries will fix their, maybe do follow suit with what we do. So, for example, Mexico may decide to raise, or Canada may decide to raise its interest rates in response to American interest rate changes um, to ensure that either their currency doesn't get too weak or too strong. Um, the European Central Bank, they're such a large economy now, they don't really... Uh, do much with their exchange rate manipulation. So they basically are all just fighting inflation. How, how much do macroeconomists look at what's happening in the world right now, foreign relations with like a China, and when things feel like they very much are in a, you know, this is a tinderbox. Constantly. I mean, you know, I mean, we, we look at anything. I mean, macroeconomists look at, you know, always. I mean, particularly with China's position in the world markets, uh, for for a supplier of, of you know iPhones or whatever, uh, we've sort of weaned ourselves off of China over the past since COVID. A lot of firms have started to try to reallocate where they produce their things. Um, so maybe moving closer home in say Mexico right. or moving to uh, Vietnam, for example. Um, so this is something that we don't know how this, I don't think anybody really knows how it's going to play out now. Um, and certainly there's concern in China because they just went to zero COVID policy. They reckon a hundred right. million people are going to die, maybe 900 million cases this year of COVID. So who knows what that's going to do to the economy. So that could put on additional inflationary pressures on our economy because they're because again, that sort of a negative supply shock will push up prices of I mean, imported you have goods. Dip- diplomatic kind of like, pissing match that's going on right now. We're getting into we have a huge issue with China. Well, the balloons. Yeah, the balloons. Yeah, right. So <laughs> this is... Yeah, Don't I, take a hot air balloon ride right. anytime in the near future. <laughs> right, you know. right. Yeah, what's going to happen? Yeah, but <laughs> there's a joke about what's going to happen the Goodyear blimp at, you know, when this, during the Super Bowl that <laughs> yeah, gets right. shot down. Yeah, right. But it's incredible. I mean, that sure. really has... that can have massive negative impact. Well, and, and the, the same trade. thing happened with, with, with when Russia invaded Ukraine. I mean, uh, another sort of huge supply side shock in terms of oil and gas prices, particularly in Europe. Um, and so their inflation has remained relatively high compared to ours because of the, the dependency they have on, on Russian gas and oil. They've, they've, they've done, as far as I understand, they're, they're moving in direction of trying to wean themselves off of that so they'll keep inflation down there. But they're 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 also raising interest rates in order to keep inflation in check, and there is still some concern. Um, and they were very fortunate to have a mild winter. I know from the, for those of us that follow World Cup skiing, it's a little bit more problematic. But 
Um, certainly they've kind of benefited from having a slightly warmer winter and not having to think so much about it. So take this to Montana. It looks like the Bureau, as it's going around the state right now, says that for the coming year we're going to see zero economic growth in Montana. So what does that mean? Uh, that's what some of us think. Okay. Um, I'm not sure I would agree with that 100%. Um, I will say this. Before I get into that, I will say that that we talked about interest rates earlier. Montana is a relatively interest rate sensitive state. You know, particularly most of our businesses are smaller businesses. We have very few large businesses which can finance by issuing stocks. Mm-hmm. And so we are interest rate sensitive state. And so I think what could potentially happen um, with these interest rate increases is that we might see a slowing of investment in the state as firms have it more expensive to borrow. Uh, obviously, some some firms in the state are able to issue bonds, um, but for for those firms which borrow, uh, it could become relatively costly for them. Plus, you have the other issue for uh, the average person is that from 2019 to 2022, mortgage rates and the prices of houses went up 68 percent. Right. And that's going to come down because interest rates are higher and people can't uh, pay those prices. Absolutely. I mean, fortunately for, fortunately for those of us that already owned our houses, right. that's not an issue. Right. You know, except maybe you, property values are going to drive up your, your property tax rates and these kinds of things. Um, but suffice to say, you know, it's for those newer people that I think that's a, obviously a bigger concern. Um, and, yeah, we are seeing a slowing in housing prices. I don't know if it's – I was looking at the data earlier today and just to see if there's uh, – been a dip, and I'm sure in some markets you see actually prices are going down. But I think yeah. primarily what you're seeing is just a price slowing right now. Right. Um, you know, for, for better or for worse, a lot of people that are moving into the state have a lot of income, so they have a lot of wealth, so they're able to basically pay cash, and so they're not being affected by those higher interest rates at all. It's the people in the lower end of the income scale which are having to borrow at these higher rates maybe take on one of these kind of relatively risky loans, like a 5-6 loan, right. an ARM 5-6 loan, right. higher 30-year mortgage rates, uh, and then the prices are higher. Uh, and so that's going to – what that's going to obviously do is, you know, if you're spending more on your housing, et cetera, et cetera, you're, you're going to be spending less on going to restaurants and, and, and whatever else you might right. buy. Let me throw a couple of things out at you, and then maybe you can synthesize that into a response. You just mentioned, uh, you know, in-migration. You know, I think it's 13% of, of people that are coming to Montana earn over $200,000 a year compared to 8% of the people that already live here. So that's that's sort of one change. We're projecting in Missoula County maybe over the next 10, 12 years, uh, 16,500 new residents coming in. And Gallatin County is predicting 40-something thousand new residents. And if the, you know, if 13 or 14 or 15% of them are high-wage earners, what does that changing tide mean for what Montana looks like over the next decade? <laughs> uh, it's, well, it's going to change. Um, you know, certainly, I mean, I, I haven't lived here that long. I moved here in 2019. Um, and, and, you know, how I see it is like there's more good stuff. Good stuff. There's better, you know, more mm-hmm. interesting restaurants now, even than there were even four years ago. Yes. Right. That's true. Uh, it's extraordinary. Um, and I've seen it in other places too, where, you know, it used to be, you could, you know, I spent a lot of time in Croatia. So same thing is more, more high income people came in then the restaurant started getting better. So you start getting better services. You know, I think, I think, you know, the, the average long-term Montana might be a little bit 
reluctant to make these changes. Um, that's sort of my sense. Um, but that it's, it's, it's changes going to come and the fact, but it's also not going to be, it's not going to be Montana wide. It's going to only happen in three or four markets. It's right. going to happen in Missoula. It's going to happen in Bozeman. It's going to happen in Kalispell whitefish. Uh, it might happen in Billings and eh, probably maybe Helena. Helena and maybe Butte. The rest of the state I, 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 I imagine is going to stay more or less the same. Of course, what that does is create these huge imbalances between the larger metropolitan areas, and I use metropolitan kind of lightly, obviously. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> right. Micropolitan areas, as right. we call them, um, and and a lot of the rural areas. Uh, but I mean that that that's a potential that could happen. Now, as a result of that, right? You know, you never want to ask an economist a question because it's always on the one hand, but on the other hand, on the other hand, but on the other hand, um, what could happen is that, and this is not necessarily a positive thing, um, is that people that were living in the cities that wanted to live in the city can no longer live in the cities and now move out into the rural areas. So you could see a slight reshuffling of people moving back into smaller rural areas. I don't think this is going to happen in a year or two. This is going to be a longer-term kind of trend potentially. Uh, but that's something that we might want to think about. Right, and that happens in other states. You know, People migrate in New York City and, you know, closer to Manhattan, right. and then prices get out of control, and then they sort of figure out a way – you know, mass transit gets better, and they figure out a way to live 30, 40 miles away so they can afford to live a, you right. know, a more comfortable life. Right. And that's that, but again, that's problematic because, uh, especially in the West, because, you know, we have huge spaces. And so if you get, yes. if you want to work in Missoula and you've got to live in uh, Darby, Darby or Drummond, right? right? I mean, that's, and gas prices are rising. I mean, that gets really, it starts to sure. add up. A and lot. connectivity, which yeah. we know is a big issue. Right. On this, but on, on, on the other hand, as you would say, <laughs> we should do that more often. Yeah. Right? When I first moved here in the, in the late 90s, and I was living down in Stevensville and working at the university, I'd drive in some mornings at six o'clock and I would only see two or three cars going up, up and now. down 93. Right. You know, now, and that was two lane. Right. You know, now it's four lane, and plenty of people are making that making that decision. Right, and the housing costs and the living costs have have uh, have come up substantially. They're not as big a difference anymore. Right, when you take a look at what it costs to live in Florence or in or in Stevensville, yeah. as it is in Missoula. Right. No, I mean that's that's you know that's kind of what happens, right? You push people out, they move somewhere else, start pushing up the prices in those places. Again, you have a supply side issue where you can't just suddenly you know, produce a bunch of houses overnight. So that you've got kind of in the short run, a fixed supply of housing, people, right. more people chasing that fixed supply, and then your prices are going to start going up. And even if you can build houses fast, the cost of building them is greater than it's been before. It's and- going up, although, you know, fortunately, you know, lumber and timber prices are coming down. So some of the prices of, of housing materials have gotten lower, things like appliances and that kind of stuff. I'm not so sure what that situation is right now. I'm seeing as I'm not buying refrigerators every day. I don't really follow right. that too closely. But certainly people in our office follow the wood markets pretty closely. And, and so uh, lumber and timber markets have – prices have been falling, which should reduce some of the some of the costs right. on, on the construction side. But on the other hand, there's a lot of construction going on. on the other hand, right. there's, a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of construction going on. There's only so many construction workers. Right. And so now we've got this labor supply issue as well. Uh, you know – and Missoula doesn't have a whole lot of space to grow. Uh, Bozeman, on the other hand, has got, you know, it's a huge valley. Those guys can grow right. 
for a while. But they're, I was saying to Arnie, their infrastructure can't accommodate. Well, that's going to take you. Yeah, you've got to obviously invest in your infrastructure. They're not. I mean, that crazy. road going down to Big Sky with all the heavy equipment that's been moving up and down, up. it's been beaten up. Terribly. That is that is the most one of the most terrifying roads I've ever driven. Oh yeah, on. and now it's worse. You were just yeah, right. on it recently. I was just on it. Yeah. It's getting torn up. Oh, I'm sure. And then with this hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold, it's worse. It's got, it's got to be worse. Yeah. And, and you know what they haven't done? Going through Big, you still have to go through the town of Big Sky. There's no bypass. Mm-hmm. So you know how they have the bypass in Kalispell? Yeah. They don't have that in Big Sky. So they're all these major trucks, heavy trucks, are going right through town, the village. Sure. Right. Makes no sense. Sure. Wait, Tino, I have a question. So. Is there a chance that the Fed will slow down interest rates towards the end of the year? I think what we're going to see is you're saying it's going to stay, but I'm, is there right, another hand on that one? There, there's. This is what I anticipate. This is what markets anticipate, and this is kind of what the Fed is saying themselves. So this is basically everybody. Three for three. <laughs> it's basically everybody, right? Uh, I think if things don't change drastically. That we will see the federal funds rate rise to five and a half percent by the end of the year, potentially January, March next year. I think that's where it's going to max out. The Fed sees the federal that rate dropping probably down to three to four percent in the longer term, so that'll come back down. The Fed wants to keep that Fed funds rate elevated because in the time of recession, they want to have room to lower it. That was a big concern during a period when. When the when the interest rate was effectively zero, yeah, well, you can't lower it. You can't lower it anymore. But although right. the although hey. the European Central Bank did, they had their version of the federal funds rate, which was actually minus twenty five basis points or point two five percent. Right. The Swedes lowered theirs to minus half a percent, and so there is these things I'm you can do. I'm giving you money to borrow money from me. Right. Exactly. That's um, a socialist government. <laughs> so that's you know that's I think what's going to happen. And I think eventually we'll start seeing this slow this the, them start to lower these did, rates again. Did the did the recession of what oh eight oh nine just sting people so bad that nobody wants to fall back into that ever again or again? As and that's why everything we're doing now is raise 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 and like what's the econ- economist view of how we respond to something that happened fifteen years ago? Well, I think – and so that's a hard question to answer. Um, I think we're still suffering from some of the sort of – we still have a hangover from there. I mean the hangover is getting better. You mm-hmm. know, It's not like – it's like a, a 50-year-old having a hangover, right? You have it basically for a week. Yeah. Um, when you're 20, you can go a day and that's it. But you know, it's, it's kind of this – we're still having some of this hangover from there. Um, obviously, um, I think the Fed is trying to be very, very proactive. I mean, one thing that we learned from the from the financial crisis was what the Fed can do, um, and and the tools, and the sort of um, the levers they can pull, the levers they can pull, and the and the levers they basically invented. Um, so the Fed, I think, is a little bit more nimble than it used to be. It used to focus on basically three primary tools to fight inflation, the federal funds rate, as we mentioned, the discount rate, which is the rate at which the Fed lends directly to member banks, and then also the reserve rate, the required reserve rate. Mm. So those are the three primary tools. And then when the, Fed, when the financial crisis happened, they introduced a whole bunch of other interest rates. So direct lending, they introduced uh, you know, buybacks of mortgage-backed securities, they introduced uh, Operation Twist was basically transferring long-term bonds into short-term bonds, all these different ways to try and get money flowing. 
And so I think the Fed now is kind of, even with zero interest rates, is finding ways to inject some sort of stimulus into the economy um, without having to resort to interest rates, although it would prefer, I think, to use interest rates. And it's sort of getting in that, um, heading in that direction right now. So the grumbling that I hear, and I'm sure all of us here across the board, is most focused at consumer prices, particularly in grocery stores. Mm-hmm. Those of us that are more affluent, if it, if it hurts us in some way, we can stop shopping at the Good Food Store and Bozeman, the new Whole Foods Store, right. and we can move down a, a, a peg, <laughs> right? We can go to Walmart, we can go to Winco or whatever. But the people that are already shopping there, Yep. And are paying all of a sudden six dollars for a dozen eggs. They don't have another place to go to. There isn't another place to go to. So, so what does that does that grumbling does that you know legitimate pain that 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 causes on on fixed income families who are who I forget minimum wage who are, who are in the forty forty five thousand dollars a year and they go out and it's three hundred dollars for groceries for a family of four. Does that pain have any influence on any of this policy? Well, I think yeah. I mean, that's that's in part why the and you know the Fed is trying to get inflation down and wants and wants to kill that inflation is be, precisely because obviously people at the upper rungs they don't care, you know uh, what a what a dozen eggs cost. But you're absolutely right at the bottom end of the scale, yes, and and that's precisely why you, why you want to get inflation in check. And couple that with the fact that for a lot of wages, they have seen increases in their wages, but it has not kept abreast with the with the, the rate of inflation. So their real, their inflation adjusted incomes are not are falling essentially, and so that is that is very problematic. Um, and then what that of course does is prevents you from investing in your future. So you know you're not allowed to save, you're not saving as much, you don't have as much to save, so your wealth is starting to go decline. Um, if you're fortunate enough to own a house, at least your house is rising at some rate. Right. Assuming you're in such and such a market, again, if you're in Sydney, I'm not sure you're seeing your your wealth rise right. very much. And it might, in fact, be falling. And so those inflationary pressures are going to be even more problematic for those folks. Uh, and seniors. I mean, and seniors, seniors who are on fixed, exactly, on fixed incomes, et cetera. Yes. I mean, I don't, I mean I'm usually fairly uh, price knowledgeable, but I'm often surprised if I don't go to a grocery store for a couple of weeks and I walk in. Right. And, and a dozen eggs is nine, you know, the kind I like that I thought <laughs> I used to pay $5 for it. I thought I was paying a lot of money. Now right. it's nine bucks a yeah, dozen. Yeah, yeah. Or a pound of cheese is, you know, $9. Or, right, right, right. You know, I mean that that adds up, and if it that does. if that you know, and I understand the reason to get inflation under control. The other part of that is there price gouging going on by companies that are taking advantage of the situation. I mean, there's no Fed overseeing what they charge, right? Right, they and get that, what the market can pay. Yeah, and I think there's there's some. I mean, economists don't like to use the term price gouging necessarily. Right. So, I know. Yeah, I know you know, but uh, so, yeah, but, but there, I, I'm sure there are companies that are taking advantage uh, taking advantage well, the petroleum of petroleum companies. Petroleum. Well, well, all companies, I think, at some level. Sure, but I mean, I but, know, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, gas is three thirty a, a gallon. Yeah, I can remember when it was close to three. But adjusted for inflation, it's actually relatively low. It's right. actually below what it was in 2009. I want to see what General Mills and some of these other companies' profits are off of, of, of Sure. This. So it's well, their this, turn to take a bite of the apple. Well, and the other, the other thing that I, I'm more up in arms about is that 
is that, you know, what are, these, what are they doing with their revenues? What are they doing with their profits? Are they literally just buying up their stock? Yes. Right. And then inflating the price of their right. stock, which is, which is great for stockholders, uh, less good for people who are relying on those firms to take some of those profits and actually invest them. And I think, you know, we talked about this right. probably one of the times yeah. I was here uh, during the financial uh, – during uh, – uh, I'm trying to remember Cohen, who is, used to be Trump's economic advisor, did a little dog and pony show and wandered around and – did a did a talk with a, a bunch of uh, executives from the uh, Fortune 500 companies, and they were asked, you know, said so we're going to give you this tax break. What are you going to do with this tax break? You know, and the idea was that you were going to invest that hopefully in, in in new labor and these kinds of things. And they're like, well, <laughs> so 65 to 70 percent of that dollar, 65 cents on the dollar, we're going to use for stock buybacks. Um, 15 cents we're going to give in in terms of a one shot payment and higher wages. 10% of that is going to be invested in new physical capital, which is then going to increase productivity. Right. So the fact of the matter is a lot of firms are taking some of these tax breaks and using those dollars not so not necessarily for investment right. in new in new machines or investment in human capital that is in labor right. and skills, right. but investing in their own stock buybacks, which is right. driving up price of stock, which is great for the CEO because that's how they get paid. Right. right. Well, the other thing that the other thing's noticeable. We had a restaurateur on the show last last week. Some of his prices in terms of buying crab, for example, have doubled. I don't think you can go into a restaurant in Missoula now, a regular sit down restaurant, where a hamburger and fries is under twelve, fourteen bucks. Oh no, absolutely not. You know yeah. when, it, when it used to be. You know, there used to be Bucks Club here. You know, burger and a beer for a buck. Right, right. right. That wasn't that long ago. I mean, right. that doesn't exist. Right. You know, and so there's a squeeze on there, and in some markets, it's even taken it further. I was, I was out of the state uh, recently, and I got my bill, and it had you know, you know, a place for a tip, but they already had thrown a three dollar or, or three service fee for the yeah. kitchen help. Yeah, you know, yeah. basically having the customers pay in addition to the food costs for their employee Smart. costs. Right, right, and that might you know that's that's something. Uh, if we're having a labor squeeze, uh, which we are, and yes, unemployment right. and, and un- unemployment in Montana is like two percent, right? And that's that's just crazy. And I, you know, the only time I, I can remember having an inflation uh, unemployment rate like that was when I lived in Ohio. Um, unemployment in Columbus, where I was going to grad school, I think unemployment hit like two and a half percent, two percent, and and everybody was desperate for workers. I mean, and so they were actually paying like a five hundred dollar bonus if you uh, if you were uh, to get to become a, like a grocery bagger, and this is not adjusted for inflation. It's right. five hundred dollars in nineteen ninety three. Right, right. If you if you're going to bag groceries, here's five hundred bucks. So we're kind of at that stage where you know if we got to hire a dishwasher, where, where who's gonna where are you gonna find a dishwasher? Or a, a waiter, or a cook, or whatever. You know, and, and, I, and I, I bristle when people say, "Well, people don't want to work anymore." That's not the issue. It's not the question of not work. With two percent employment, you can pick and choose a lot better jobs than cleaning dishes in a restaurant. Exactly. Yeah. And then another issue that we've got here in the state is we're an old state. I think we're like the fifth or sixth oldest yes. state in the country, um, and our labor force participation rate is the lowest it's been. So we've got uh, there's something called the dependency ratio, and the dependency ratio is the fraction of people under the age I can't remember exactly what it is, but say under the age of 12 and over the age of 65 relative to the working age, age population. And our dependency ratio is is huge. So we've got a shrinking labor pool 
supporting an ever-increasing population. population of people who aren't working. And so, you know, and the population's growing as well. Yes. So that's going to even put more squeeze on our labor markets and could potentially drive uh, even more wage inflation um, in our state. Now, you got, you got to remember, too, when we talk about – we've talked about inflation. We talk about PCE, the CPI inflation rate. But that's the national average. I mean, everybody's got their own different inflation right. rate. So our inflation rate and the biggest – Thing that and you mentioned this earlier, the biggest the biggest percentage of your total spending is going to be your housing, of course. And with right. housing prices increasing, that percentage of your total income is rising, meaning you've got even less money. Assuming you right. are buying a house now, um, is rising relative uh, to your income, and so you're able to spend less on other types of goods and services sure. as well. So this is it's it's going to be a. A very interesting uh, decade, shall we sure. say. So if you watch Yellowstone, you think everybody in Montana is employed either on a ranch or in government. So what does our workforce look like these days? You know, we see a lot more tech companies in the state. You know, I've always felt that it was, uh, you know, while it's a service economy, there are a lot of people in Montana in healthcare and construction and some of those other fields. So what does the profile of, our, of uh, the employment base look like here? Well, a huge amount in, in government, probably right. 20% government. Uh, manufacturing's done really well. Again, I don't know percentages yeah, necessarily. Fifteen percent uh, manufacturing, um, and then, and that's is a concern because, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Montana's very interest rate sensitive, small firms, and so uh, for smaller uh, manufacturing firms, that could put a little bit of a uh, a break on their ability to invest. Healthcare is big; uh, it's growing. It's not growing as fast as the national average, and again, hmm. in p- some sectors. Uh, if you look at hospitals, we're actually doing relatively well. Hospital employment's roughly on par with what it was pre-COVID. But when you sort of broaden the definition of healthcare mm-hmm. workers, uh, it's actually well below pre-COVID trends, which is problematic again in a rural wow. state. We have, uh, we have some of the oldest doctor population, and we have a very average. old doc- yes, we have a very old doctor population. And I just read a study a couple like last week, two weeks ago, uh, which said something like. Uh, Roughly, I don't know, 20,000 doctors across all different types of specialties will be leaving the workforce in, tw- in, in 2022, and those will be 5,000 are kind of in the pipeline. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah. And then you've got, obviously, a lot of nurses who are resigning. Um, and so with an older population, a lot of immigration, the healthcare sector looks to be kind of is going to be interesting, um, particularly for rural health. Um, Obviously, hospitality is a very big percentage of our economy now and probably growing. Sure. Um, the, the natural resources, so this is, this is a sort of like minerals extraction. I mean, really small. I mean, not many people work. In what about construction? Construction is going to be growing, but, you know, where yeah, was I, I recently? You know, I'm like, where, where did you get your – who's doing your floors? Oh, some guys from Texas or right. – Yeah, right. So right. we're having can't to, find anybody. can't find anybody. So they're having to come from wherever – and they're not coming from Washington because they're going through the same building thing. Or Colorado, they're probably coming up from Texas, or you know, Texas Florida. is booming too. Florida is booming. I mean, where are they right. coming from? Oklahoma, I don't know. How about agriculture? You know, agri- again, I, I I'm not a huge. I don't know, follow ag that closely. Uh, ag ag so much of ag is determined by world global prices, right? And so you know, it just sort of it just depends on on what those those global prices we're doing. Obviously, the war in Ukraine kind of had a little bit of a ripple effect through the global um, agricultural markets. Not so much here, though, because most of their grain is kind of going towards Africa um, in the Middle East. But 
nevertheless, you know, it could you could come up with a situation if that let's just assume that had gone to zero those exports to Africa. Well, who's going to supply Africa? Well, mm-hmm. you could say, well, maybe some of American would go there, mm-hmm. and that would reduce the supply of American ag for Americans, driving up prices of ag here, which is good for the farmers, right? Um, because obviously they're getting higher prices. But, you know, they don't want that volatility either. They'd no. rather have a pretty good idea of what prices are going to be. So when they're planting their crops and all that kind of stuff, right. they can look into the future and say, you know, obviously you're always going to have snow or wind or heat or whatever, but you don't want to have some other huge shock like that. Well, one of the really biggest problems things. that ag faces here, which is an unintended consequence of the Ukrainian war, is the fact that most of the fertilizer in the world comes from Russia and it's sanctioned. It's a lot of sanctions. Fertilizer itself isn't sanctioned, but the ships moving fertilizer are sanctioned. <laughs> right. You know, and I hear from uh, from many uh, farm sources that <laughs> this last cycle wasn't so bad because they had reserve, but but the price of fertilizer is tripled. Yeah, yeah. And where's what's going to be the consequence of that? Higher prices. Higher prices. And it's not necessarily going to the farmer because they got to pay triple the amount. Exactly. There's some farmers in Montana pay millions for their fertilizer. Jeez. Now. No. You know, the larger ones. And so that's that's something that wasn't counted on or anticipated, but right. it's a serious problem. Yeah, it's a very serious. So, yeah, I mean, with the, the complete integration of the globe, going back to your question earlier, Scott, about the fact that, you know, our, our macro economists. Right. Yes. I mean, there's so many there's so many moving pieces. And, you know, it's it's the, the economy has gotten so much more complicated and understanding the economy is. Yeah. Let's yeah. do this, Arnie. Let's take a quick break. Our guest is Tino Sonora from the University of Montana, senior research professor, Dr. Tino <laughs> Sonora, back after this. Arnie, we are back with our guest, Tino Sonora. So, Tino, you've only been here since 2019, so you're a relative newcomer. And you can't be doing economic research all the time. It's not 24-7. So what have you found here compared to other places that you live that you enjoy doing? Well, I moved here from Durango, Colorado, which to my mind is very similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a professor there, and it's again, it's a college town surrounded by mountains. Um, I've been skiing my whole life, um, and I also race bikes. So what I do, I, one thing I've, I've really enjoyed about being here um, is just the mountain biking for me because I'm not a great technical rider. I have a lot of fun riding my mountain bike around here, and it's easy for me to get out. You know, five minutes from my house, I can be on any number of trails and out in the middle of nowhere, and it's, uh, that's really great. And then having, you know, Snowball here is really, really nice to have. What about the parking at Snowball? Well, I always try to that. get there, like, right after lunch. So, you know, hopefully people start clearing out a little bit. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's always an adventure. Um, it's very narrow. Uh, the road can be an adventure. Um, but I like there. having it so close, you know, and then, of course, in Durango, there's purgatory. It wasn't that far away. So it's, it's, it was kind of similar in that way where you could kind of ski in the morning and work in the afternoon if you, if you could. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So I really enjoyed that. So I know what one of your dreams is for Missoula. Scott and I are, are foodies and I think that you enjoy food as well. And for years we wanted a good bagel in town. And we finally got one. We got Brooklyn bagels, and it's from Essa Bagel in New York, and they're pretty good. They're pretty good. We have some Mexican. We need better, don't we? We need, we need more Mexican food. We need food. more Mexican food. You know, um, whenever I travel, you know, to Europe, it used to drive me crazy. It's just never finding a good Mexican restaurant. So that's kind of, regardless of where you go, that's kind of been uh, my quest. I know, just had delivered to my house, and I might end up sharing with you a, a kit from Mexico City uh, to make Mole sauce. Nice. Wow. And they even sent me Mexican chocolate. You know, Who did? Uh, 
it was it was a gift. It was a, you know a holiday. some gift. Yeah, it was a nice gift, and and I'm making three different kinds of mole sauce, and I'll get some to you before. That mean that mean if they turn out okay. Arnie's whittle, you know, he's wasting away though. He's lost 29 pounds. Looking sharp. Looking real good, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Trying to live long enough to eat more Mexican food. Right. Well, who wouldn't? That's as good right. a reason as Gino, any. You, but you've been here. So you got here in 2019. So you, you know, you see the new airport. You yep. see all this great infrastructure stuff happening. Right. You know, you didn't have that in Durango, did you? Or There's an airport. And then, in fact, the, 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 the flights are basically the same. It's like they go to Denver. And then from Denver, you go wherever. Or Salt Lake. Yeah. Right. Right. And I'm, I, yeah, I. The so, hub and spoke model. So yeah. in, I got to tell you the difference. Although the airport here is a lot nicer. The new airport's really nice. In 97, I when Agreed. I was here full time, March of 97, the thing that I was asking people, so on the drive, you know, from Stevensville to Missoula, which gas station has the best corn dogs? <laughs> that was the food conversation. Well, I'm not exaggerating. That was the conversation. Which, because which, there was no restaurants in between right, on that, right, on that right. run. Till you hit, you know, you know right. till you hit Brook Street. So if you got hungry along the way, was it the Conoco or the Town Pump that had a better, you know, quick bite in the morning? That's a and, good question. And it sh- certainly has changed a lot since then. And a great way to wrap up this conversation. <laughs> Always foods. <laughs> Always foods. Tino Sonora. Tino, thank you so much. Thanks, guys. It's been fun as always. It's a pleasure. You take care. Scott, see you next week. See you then, Arnie. Thank you for listening to What Do You Know? I can't wait for the next show, Scott. I'm excited too, Arnie. If you'd like to suggest a guest, send me an email at scottrichman at townsquaremedia.com. We'll see you next week. And thanks for listening to News Talk KGVO. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.